Gavin. Hi, Louie. How are you doing? I'm doing as good as can be expected, I think. Well, I am a free woman. I am not <laughs> nothing without a steady hand. Okay, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see you. Free jazz, that chromatica track. <laughs> Just, mm, oh my yeah. god. <gasps> I'm a free oh my woman. My, <laughs> my tia went to um, Enigma in Las Vegas. And Shut she told up. me she went to she went to the jazz concert and she said it was incredible and i was I'm like sure it was. yeah when did you become a lady gaga stan <laughs> and how come no one told me about this your tia is a monster <laughs> she's... That, yeah she's a little monster <laughs> hi everyone welcome to the mixed reviews welcome we are a film podcast in which we take a subject such as an actor director or a mini genre and we give you a full history and we talk about our five star reviews and we talk about our one star reviews and then we sort of let you make the judgments in the end. That history she's full. The the reviews they're mixed, oh, okay? Absolutely. Last episode, I mean I guess okay, let's just do a little bit of like housekeeping. A vibe check if you will. I have a couple of good friends who have a radio show called Bad Vibes, bringing you the baddest vibes in Brooklyn. So Sec- okay, are, is, are they part of Spike Lee's universe? Like, that feels very <laughs> on brand. The, the People's, Rep- the people's uh, Free Republic of Brooklyn, you mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, of which we are both um, members. happy members and citizens. Okay, our last episode, we talked about Angela Bassett. And um, last time we talked to you guys, uh, we were just the beginning of the protests um, that erupted after the murder of George Floyd. And um, I... I think both me and Gavin were kind of, like in, I mean, the whole world, especially us here in the United States, were feeling a type of way, upset, angry. Our minds were not here with the podcast. They were obviously with the protesters and um, everything that's going on. Um, and the fight continues. So me and Gavin gave money on behalf of the show. Um, Gavin, I saw you're still donating. I went to my to my first protest last weekend. Truly, there's just nothing more inspiring or um, life-affirming than being out there and raising your voice to help raise up our community. And um, yeah, I, I highly encourage you guys to just, you know, wear your mask, take some hand sanitizer and water with you and just uh, support. Like we said last time, the only wrong thing to do is stay silent. There are still murders of black people happening every day. Every day. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, black trans lives um if your black lives matter doesn't include our trans brothers and sisters you can keep it honey this is now just not about george floyd it's about you know all the people that came before him will come after him until we make significant and lasting change please stay loud keep it at the forefront of things it's not a fad it's not a one-time thing this was not like a weekend of protests and then we're done you got to keep going until it changes uh, if you're an ally, please support in any way you can. As Louis said, he went to a protest. I've been advised not to go as an immunocompromised person, which really sucks for me because I really, really, really wanted to go. Um, but I've been doubling some of my donations because of that. Uh, and, and one, yeah, as Louis said, don't be silent. It's it's not worth it. You have to continue to fight right and i think what that means for us here on this show and um for our listeners um we've talked about and me and gavin spoke a little bit about what we wanted to do going forward and what we landed on is like if you can't protest if you don't have um, the funds to donate um educate yourself read books by black authors um watch movies by black artists and that's what we're here to do now what, what me and gavin decided um you know 
we are going to uplift and celebrate the work of uh, Black filmmakers and um, actors and actresses on this podcast. And we hope you guys enjoy the ride. Our last episode was Angela Bassett. Like we said, that was kind of, um, we had a great time doing that episode. It was not planned, you know, obviously, how could we have planned that? Um, But we're so happy that she was able to kick us off. Um, And so before we get into our next episode, um, talking about a black filmmaker that you might've heard of, um, (laughs) let's go to the polls, Gavin. Which you better do when it comes time to vote. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Wear your mask. Uh, okay, so we asked you guys to go vote for your favorite Angela Bassett movie, and here are the results. Uh, my pick, Bozeman and Lena, came in at last place with 5.4%. Shout out to Gavin, who attached the YouTube link. You can watch the entire movie for free. It's amazing. It's iconic. Um, I think it, no one has seen it is the issue. <laughs> How Stella Got Her Groove Back came in in third place with 18.9%. Waiting to Exhale came in at 21.6%. And Gavin's pick, What's Love Got to Do With It, came in at 54%, topping the polls, winning the prize. Gavin, you so rarely win in life. What does it feel like to win this poll? I I hardly know. I hardly, you know, <laughs> I just I have no words. We're, I'm waiting for like, can you just edit in the shade button real quick? We also did get some other um, responses. Um Connor said that we <laughs> failed to mention Sunshine State, which I don't think we brought up in our the episode, did we? No, I don't think we did. And and honestly, I do really like her collaborations with John Sales. And then we also got a couple of people saying they wanted um that their favorite was Strange Days, which yes. I think is is the most chaotic choice <laughs> of her movies. <laughs> but a very enjoyable watch, something that I think probably is like really fun to watch in like a large group um but yes okay great we love we stan angela bassett so gavin who are we talking about this week why we are talking about the producer screenwriter director occasional actor film professor a man whose films have four times been added to the national film registry from the Library of Congress, we're talking about Spike Lee. None other than the man himself, Brooklyn's own, the legend, the icon. I was thinking like, oh, is he like one of the most important like American filmmakers? Is it even bigger than that? Is he one of the most important filmmakers? Um, clearly, he's super important to uh, Black film. Uh, and But that's just because there's not that many. And that's right. not just because, but like... There isn't. And I think he would say that, too. Um, I think Spike Lee, one of my favorite things about doing this uh, episode is I think Spike Lee's very funny and he likes laughing a lot. And I think his laugh is one of the, my favorite things to hear when I was listening to interviews. Whenever he would laugh, I was just like, this guy, his work is very serious, but he does not take himself seriously. Well, Gavin, how did you get to know Spike Lee? I've been a big fan of Spike Lee probably since I I started falling in love with movies. I think the first Spike Lee film I ever saw was Do the Right Thing, but I definitely remember seeing bits of School Days on HBO all the time when I was a kid and trying to reconcile that like this was the same filmmaker who made that movie about that that block uh, in New York City as a kid. Um, And 
it's funny. It, it sort of spiraled from there. And I think the thing that I love about him, the thing that I've always loved about him is he has such style and such passion for filmmaking. Mm-hmm. He has such a unique and interesting style. It's very informed by the filmmakers who came before him. He stands on the shoulders of giants. He himself is a giant for which many filmmakers now stand on the shoulders of. And you can tell the the stuff that he takes um, inspiration from, but never feels like a copy never feels like he's doing a direct lift. There's some filmmakers, some very famous filmmakers whose entire careers are homages. Bloop. Uh, his, his are, are nothing like that. And then on top of that, obviously he's a black man in a white dominated industry, a country in which his people were slaves. And all this informs the content of his films and makes them so passionate and so interesting. And he, he always wants to talk about uh, more so. I think a lot of people are like, oh, his films are just about race. And I think that's very untrue. I think there's a lot right. of things that he wants to talk about. I think he wants to talk about sexism. I think he wants to talk about colorism in the black community. I think he he loves talking about contemporary life, loves talking about politics, crime, poverty, and all these important issues that he infuses into his work and makes them instantly relevant to the time in which they are made, but also timeless for how they are present, how they present themselves to the audience. I'm going to right up top admit that I think the first movie I saw of his literally was Black Klansman. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think his movies are so emotional. He has such emotional heft in all of them. You know, he's always trying to say something beyond the, um, you know, the plot, but beyond like person did a thing to get to B thing to C thing. Um, he has so much more to say. And I think you're right. There is obviously this lens of blackness and black America and what that means. But whether it's about gentrification or gang violence or, you know, money, um, it, it it's all it's it, you just feel i mean it's kind of exhilarating watching these movies i i mentioned um after i finished watching malcolm x it's kind of just like you're breathing heavy and you're just like kind of like oh my god this is something that's been on my mind recently every film is political in some way shape or form you may not realize mm. it, every film is political and the thing that's great about spike lee is he kind of wears his politics on his sleeve the last movie i rewatched for for this was bamboozled which i had not seen since college and the, the he actually comes out and says it in Bamboozled, black people are not a monolith. No disrespect, but uh, this is some bullshit. Well, I've done my research. These are Negroes we are talking about, not some lab mice in a cage. We are not one monolithic group of people. We do not all think, look, and act alike, Ms. Goldfarb. Monsieur Delacroix, let me assure you, I got my PhD in African-American studies from Yale. There is no one single representation. There's no one solid political belief. And people need to get that idea out of their head. They are people as well. They're people first. And Spike Lee constantly wants to remind you of that. And I think that's what's interesting about his work. There's so many movies that are more interested in you walking in and not thinking about them um, in any way, shape or form. I've heard him talk about that, that mm-hmm. the movies are um, 
you know, they're, they can make you think a certain way and they, they have responsibilities. And I think so many people have a tendency to, to just consider movies as a art form that is solely for entertainment purposes. The medium of film and television is very powerful. Once you respect it and not play with it, you could definitely influence how people think and it can be good and bad. And one of the things I love about Spike Lee is he's right. like, no. Movies are an art form, right? And it's not solely entertainment, right? He's so in your face, not only with his style, but like, literally, I just watched *The Five Bloods* today, and he's like, "Yeah, it's a very entertaining thriller, but also you're gonna see actual photos and videos of historical things that we don't know enough about. You know, as Americans, as a society, we don't talk enough about, we don't um, recognize enough about. Every time you walk out of his movies, I think you'll feel like you're a better informed citizen of the world, which is kind of um, iconic. Like, I don't know. <laughs> What's something that's less gay? Um, that's kind of very good. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, like, Louis, you're never going to be able to accomplish less gay. <laughs> you're not wrong. Ah! <laughs> So with that, I think that's an apt description of Spike Lee. And I think that's a good place for us to enter into our rewind. Oh boy, I had such a good time learning about Spike Lee. Um, he is 63 years old, I think right now. Yes. Um, and he's and he's still kicking, doing the thing, riding around town on his Knicks um, branded bicycle, going to protests. Um, so yeah, it was really fun and amazing to read and learn about this guy who literally is living a couple neighborhoods away, you know? Have you ever run into him? No. Oh my God, no. The I did once walking home from the Museum of Modern Art. And I just just walked past him, not not saying like, but it was one of those moments where it's like, oh yeah, that's fucking Spike Lee. Like, what? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> oh, Gavin, you went to the MoMA? Yeah, wow. exactly. I was seeing a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Have I heard of it, the MoMA? Yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of the MoMA? Just <laughs> NBD. My good friend Spike Lee was there. <laughs> so Spike Lee was born in Mar on March 20th, 1957. His real name is actually Shelton Jackson Lee. Um, his mother gave him the nickname um, because she said he was a, quote, very tough baby. He was actually born in Atlanta, but um, moved with his family to Brooklyn as a child. Um, he went to public school on Coney Island, uh, which was a really uh, poor neighborhood. Um, unlike his siblings, who actually went to uh, a private school, St. Anne's, where his mom taught. His mom was a teacher. His dad was a folk and jazz bass player, um, playing stand-up bass, and Spike loves talking yeah. about how good his dad was um and oh, one, of, no, one of the best i i, I don't want to i don't want to jump in too quick but uh not was is his father is still alive good distinction so my father did the scores for all my student films then she's gonna have it school days do the right thing and more better blues his dad played upright bass and music was very formative for spike's childhood he says he remembers going to concerts and he even took some lessons to play different instruments himself his dad though funnily enough refused to play the electric bass when it was getting really popular and and um so that made his career really kind of suffer and his mom had to kind of pick up the slack as far as um, being the breadwinner in the family um, the family lived in Cobble Hill um, for a little while, which was an all-white neighborhood. And um, Spike has said that he experienced he's experienced racism his entire life, 
back until then. Um, he also tells a story of how he tried to join the Cub Scouts as a child. Yeah, I wanted to join uh, the Boy Scouts. And they said I couldn't do it because I wasn't Catholic. Yeah, well, that, well we all yeah. knew what it well, was. My father told me well, of course. what it was. So uh, after that, I said, F, F the Boy Scouts. I don't want to be in them. They eventually settled in Fort Greene. Um, and yeah, when he was a kid, Spike would set, spend the summer in the South with his grandparents, um, both in Alabama and Georgia. Um, that's significant in that Spike has said, you know, a lot of Americans think there's only racism in the South, but that's just not true. You know, when he was a kid in, uh, certainly he said when he was in Alabama, um, he experienced it a lot, but the same thing was happening to him when he was in Brooklyn with, you know, these Italian neighborhoods that he would, um, you know, was living and being a part of. He went to Morehouse College in 1975, which is uh, HBCU, a historically black college university. He, his grandma in Atlanta paid for him to go to school. In the 50 years, my grandmother, Zimmy Rita Shelton, mm -hmm. she uh, saved the social security checks for her grandchildren's education. And since I was the eldest, I got first dips. <laughs> so through those social security checks, which acquired interest over 50 years, uh, she was able to help me get through Morehouse, mm -hmm. NYU grad film school, and also gave me the seed money for my thesis film, Joe's Best Side Barbershop, which won the Student Academy Award in 1982. Spike, as a student, he was undeclared for the first two years of school. He just really didn't know what he wanted to do. He wasn't really doing anything with film. Um, it was, wasn't until the summer before going to uh, his junior year that he said his counselors were like, Spike, you've taken all the electives you can. You need to pick a major. Um, and that he went home the summer of 77 and a good friend of his said, oh, hey, I have like this camera, this Super 8 camera, if you want it. I have a friend. Her name is Vieta Johnson, who I grew up with. She went to Stuyvesant High School. I mean, very smart. smart. One day, I wasn't doing anything, sitting in my stoop. Again, didn't have a job. And went over to her house, her apartment, and in the corner was a box, a Super 8. I said, what's in that box? He said, Super 8 camera. I said, what's in the other box? He says, it's a film. I said, you can have it. He just gave it to me. It's truly just fate. It's just, you know, kind of this God's plan thing where he's like, I never would have picked up a camera. I never would have started making movies if she had not given me that camera. And it's as simple as that. And he talks to, it's so interesting to hear him talk about, like, life is weird luck sometimes you know and you don't know where you're going to be and you know don't know what you're going to do it's just like we're all just banging around this universe and things happen uh, his mother was a huge cinephile and his dad hated movies so his mother was right constantly taking spike to see films with her as a when he was a kid my father hated movies so i was my mother was a cinephile so i was my mother's movie date I'm, I'm the oldest but my father loved sports so my love for sports came from my father and love sports and music and he said he would see things like you know uh scorsese's mean streets way too young for the age but <laughs> but these but these inspired him the you know, children's so, classic exactly <laughs> so when he gets this camera he already has you know, a, a base knowledge. And it's so funny because I remember 
when I went to when I went to film school uh, was around the time DVDs started becoming a thing. And I remember Spike Lee doing an interview and I've yet to be able to find it again where he was like, kids, don't go to film school. Buy as many old movies as you can on DVD and listen to the director's commentaries. Wow. And to this day, I think about that all the time. And I love listening to director's commentaries. So, so, you know, but I did also waste my money on film school. So, (laughs) you fucking idiot. Yeah, I'm so dumb, 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 fucking stupid. If only fucking Spike Lee had come to my apartment and told me. (laughs) I know. So he gets this camera and comes back to. And he said he just started shooting stuff. He comes back to Morehouse. He decides to get his uh, to major in mass communications. Um, they didn't have a film school there, but he does mass communications. And at this time, he writes a screenplay called Homecoming, which would later become his second um, picture, School Days. That same year, though, when he was just 19, his mom, Jacqueline, dies of cancer. It throws him for a loop. He ends up, he said he kind of lost purpose for a while. It, it shook him. Right. So he finishes Morehouse and he decides to go to NYU for grad school. Um, his That same grandmother in Atlanta helps him pay for that as well. Um, while he's in gr- uh, grad school, he starts making little bibbidi-bobbidi-boops, um, class um, studio student projects. Um, the first one was 1977's The Last Hustle in Brooklyn, which is like a 45-minute documentary um, it's it's using all of the footage that he shot when he first got his camera uh, during the blackouts in New York during the, the famous Summer of Sam, which he would have revisit in Summer of Sam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the titular summer. I also was able to find, I don't know if you saw this, Gavin, on YouTube. There's an interview of him, uh, and it must have been right after uh, School Days came out, and he's talking about... Uh, the Answer, which was his second student film, um, and Joe's Bedsty Barbershop, um, which was his thesis film. And again, these are, I, I don't think that these films are available to see anywhere, but there are little clips here and there on YouTube. Um, the Answer was literally uh, uh, about uh, remaking Birth of a Nation, a subject that he would revisit again in Black Klansman. You have been chosen to direct a film. Not a black film, either. Did you see The Wiz? 30 million bananas. We died at the box office. We have conducted a nationwide search and selected you to direct the $50 million remake of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. Miles, you'll never have a chance like this again. Birth of a Nation is considered one of the most formative films in in filmmaking because it's an early film. It's D.W. Griffith. And it really, in terms of in terms of technique, defines a lot of the techniques that that make up what pe- what most people think of as movies, you know, close ups and right. moving camera. And but as Spike Lee put it, no one in any of the classes ever talked about the content. No one ever right. mentioned uh, how fucking racist it, it truly and it's is. Not, it's not just like a little bit racist. It's not even just like Spike Lee says it's racist. It's really fucking racist. It is some KKK aggressive blackface, like just horrible, horrible, horrible. And if you've seen um, Black Klansman, you know what we're talking about. Um, yeah. But so the answer was about that. And, and he got a lot of flack, I think, from faculty he, who did not understand it. 
he got kicked out of school, but they'd already promised him another semester. The faculty, they voted me out, but they have fucked up, though. <laughs> to help supplement my tuition, I was a teaching assistant, and I worked in the equipment room, and I was the hardest worker in the equipment room. So because of that work ethic, they had slipped up and made the mistake of giving me a TA ship for a second year before the evaluations. They had thrown me out and right. somebody said, we can't kick him out. We gave him a TA ship for the second year already. So he comes back, 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 back again. Um, and he makes Joe's bedside barbershop. And um, oh, P.S. He casually made it with his classmate, fucking Ang Lee. Ever heard of him? Um, who worked on the crew and that movie won the student academy award that year so suck on that nyu <laughs> um also literally he is a tenured professor there so now yeah. so whatever um so he graduates from nyu in 1982 and it it's he it is because of uh bed he is able to um, get a grant, uh, a grant from the city, along with literally like $25,000 from his grandmother. Same grandmother loved him so much and wanted to see him succeed. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know anything more beautiful than that. Like, it's just amazing, you know. Um, and so he takes uh, some grant money from the city. He takes his grandma's money. And with $175,000 and 12 days, he shoots his first film, 1986's She's Gotta Have It. It breaks the mold, like, right off the bat. He is talking about black women and their sexuality. This movie is majority in black and white. Um, it, and, and the movie, like, grosses, like, $8 million. You know, it makes, it makes a huge, huge splash. It is no surprise that Spike Lee has had the career he has. You know, that first film came out out the gate just like fucking bucking. I want you to know the only reason I'm consenting to this is because I wish to clear my name. Not that I care what people think, but enough is enough. And if in the end it helps some other people out, well, then that's fine, too. I consider myself normal, whatever that means. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. But what are you gonna do? And, and it's a, li a little frustrating when you when you think about it, like in terms of the history of independent film, because people always talk about you know the big independent resurgence in the '90s, and a lot of the times they point towards Clerks as being the the herald of that. But clearly, Clerks wouldn't exist without She's Got to Have It. You know, this primarily right. indie financed black and white movie that's very frank about sexuality and i don't i don't know it's one of those frustrating things where it's like i don't feel like i hear she's got to have it come up enough um i don't know if it's right. because it's spike lee or because i will admit i have problems with the film i definitely have problems with the movie um as you mentioned it's it's about a black woman named nola darling who is um sleeping with three men she she sort of created her perfect man by combining elements of all three of these men's personalities, what she likes best about them. And I will admit, like, I kind of think the way Spike Lee talks about it, even to this day, is a little gross because he talks about, like, you know, what if what if you took a man and and told his story from the perspective of a woman? Like, she's she's a woman who loves sex. And it's like, 
yeah women are also people like they they also so like cr- <laughs> what a crazy concept I so know. wild but but i do but i do think it's really groundbreaking in the way that at a it treats nola she's a very uh, round well-rounded adult character and also i think it's um i think it's really groundbreaking in the way that it treats black bodies because white people have a, yeah. have a long history of sexualizing black bodies in a in a very sort of vulgar way and this was mm-hmm. this was black bodies being presented in a sexual way that didn't feel exploitative and, and felt more about the sensuality and not necessarily about like oh my god it's a black person who's naked spike lee has been criticized as struggling with his female characters and presentations of women in his movies i think him and other critics have pushed back on that um i don't know if it's completely true i think certainly there are some movies where i'm like what the fuck and he's even said and she's gotta have it he regrets there is a scene of rape in this movie that he regrets and so she's gotta have it would be remade into a netflix um series what two three years ago four years ago uh yeah it start, started in 2017 the second season was in 2019 until netflix um, canceled it those jerks because i for this jerks. episode watched every episode and loved it oh so um in the first episode of the of the show uh and it's recreating a lot of what's happening in the movie it's a short movie um instead of and she does almost get assaulted and then said nola um fights back and um you know it so i do think and he said before he's like i was immature i was so young and i I, so i think uh at the very least i'm glad that now you know in his early 60s he's able to look back and recognize that there are problems with some of the characterizations and some of the things that he has done um in his movies um but again as a first film you know it really cemented his style and also his intent on on exploring these social issues um around black people so he makes she's gotta have it makes eight million dollars with that money he's like oh hello i do have this screenplay that i've been hanging on to for a while um and in 1988 um school days comes out and school days is literally is just it's his time at morehouse it's um, a film just about a black university and the students there and the differences they have um and uh yeah i love this movie i think it's so fun i've heard interviews where the people are like wow it was really unexpected for your second movie and he was like it was my second movie what did you (laughs) see that you were like oh it's unexpected like um (laughs) but but it's it's really interesting and very i don't know it's really funny and um deep and i in in my opinion it's it's a little unfocused Uh, i don't really hold it against it though because i do think it's incredibly entertaining you know it's a musical it's a serious drama it's a comedy um yeah i i don't know and and just that cast uh is yeah well so i wanted to bring up um in case you don't know, Spike Lee likes working with certain people, and he also loves uplifting uh, other Black artists and actors and actresses and cinematographers. And um, his first four movies, his father scored for him. His younger sister, Joie, um, has been in at least three of the films, also produced and co-wrote Crooklyn with him. Oh, she's been in many more than three. She pops up for like five minutes in, in almost all of them. <laughs> Ernest Dickerson, who 
um, was a cinematographer for a lot of his films. We actually talked about him in our Danny Glover episode uh, because he went on to direct Good Fences. And he directs a lot of like TV stuff, but he started off, he, he met Spike at NYU and yeah um, and he's he's an amazing cinematographer his his work is so good and looks so good yeah and so uh like you mentioned for the cast of school days you know there are going to be a lot of people that we'll see again you know bill nunn samuel jackson wesley snipes giancarlo uh esposito um lawrence fishburne yeah lawrence fishburne um tisha campbell like and these are all um roger smith also these are all just like young black people who i i keep thinking like would they have gotten their bricks and their shots if not for spike um and what a shame it would have been because they're so entertaining they're such good performers um obviously denzel had already had a career and denzel's not in school days but he's worked with spike in lots of movies and i think most people would agree that like no one directs denzel like spike does um and then you also have like these titans like Ruby D and Aussie Davis. It's just like it's kind of wild the 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 people that he um, works with, um, and I love it. Um, in the the next year, and again, this is also something that's crazy. He literally like is making a movie a year. Like he is yeah. a machine. Um, he does in 1989 uh, do the right thing, which is maybe his most classic film, yeah. like the most iconic iconic it is the moment critics in the when the movie came out thought that the movie was going to like start riots in the streets to this day there was denby joel klein another guy jack kroll i think is that his name he used to write for time magazine all of them said that i think it was david denby had the quote that please hope that this film doesn't open in your neighborhood the movie famously was or maybe infamously um, was not nominated for Best Picture that year. And that year, uh, Driving Miss Daisy won. And Spike has been very vocal about his, uh, let's say, dissatisfaction. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the most classic moment from that that Oscar telecast was Kim Bassinger, which, by the way, uh, fun fact, Do the Right Thing came out the same night as Batman, as Tim Burton's Batman. Just just wow. for historical context. Uh, Kim Bassinger... Is it Bassinger, Basinger? Bassinger? I think it's Basinger. Basinger? So the most famous thing about Basinger. that Oscars telecast is Kim Basinger gets up to present Best Picture and drives the show to a halt by being like, the Best Picture isn't up here. But there is one film missing from this list that deserves to be on it because, ironically, it might tell the biggest truth of all. And that's Do the Right Thing. Yes, yes, yes. The the film goes to Cannes and it, it gets fucked over at Cannes. And it's so funny because previous subject of the mixed reviews, Sally Field is on that Cannes jury. And she has told Spike Lee that the reason it didn't get the Palme d'Or was because Wim Wenders, who was the president, did not think that his character acted nobly. But they gave it to Sex, Lies and Videotape. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> so I don't yeah. know, but I I love the fact that Sally Fields like, hey Spike, <laughs> like yeah. calling him up on his cell, like yeah. <laughs> Sally was like, hey girl, let's I, I got I got the hot <laughs> gas. I'm spilling the tea. Um, no, I mean it, it's 
it's not funny, but it is funny, but right. it's not that like literally, you know, I think a lot of his career people have said like, oh, Spike is such an angry black man, which is already a stereotype for black people that is not real and fucking offensive. But if anyone had the fucking um, uh, reason to be mad, it would be Spike Lee. You know, he is making these like groundbreaking movies and systemic racism in the industry is literally keeping him down. Like uh, just the idea that Tim Burton's first Batman came out the same day as do the right thing. And, you know, I'm sure white America was flipping their shit for Batman, which oh, it is was. A good Batman movie. was like the, the most popular movie of that year. So, right. But Im- imagine like do the right thing, which was probably one of, maybe two or three black movies that come out you know like and and i think that's like it's it's wild to think like is it groundbreaking literally because we're seeing black people doing things on film are we learning about that black people are people like it's just like (laughs) we've talked about this with other directors and other actors it's Mm -hmm. not spike lee's responsibility to be like black people are people you as an audience member should have been doing that work in the first place. Uh, right. But the the other thing I do want to talk about before we before we move off of it, you mentioned the angry black man stereotype. And p- the unfortunate part about that is more often than not, Spike Lee is made to answer for all black people than he is yeah. allowed to talk about his work. And it's really right. frustrating to look at all these interviews, a lot of them when he said some of his most controversial stuff, not all of them. I'm not going to absolve him. He has said and 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 befriended many a controversial figure over his his life. But for a vast majority of them, he is constantly asked, what do black people think about this? How do black right. people feel about this? And as yeah. I mentioned in in the in the intro, black people are not a monolith. And Spike Lee does not speak for all of them, and he does not want to speak for all of them. But because of his right. platform, and he, and he shouldn't he have gets, to, and he shouldn't have to yeah. exactly because of his platform, he gets backed into that corner so many times in his career. The reason people are only seeing so few representations of black people in the media is because there are so few black people given the opportunity to present them, and that's why there needs to be, you right. know, more diversity. In terms of media, there needs to be more diversity uh, behind the camera. There needs to be more diversity in seats of power. There needs to be, you, you mentioned the film critics, the uh, a majority white film critics telling people that yep. there were going to be race riots if this movie opened in their in their town. There needs to be more diversity on film criticism side. So do the right thing. Big uh, watershed moment. In 1990, he comes back with Mo Better Blues, uh, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is his first uh, collaboration with Denzel Washington. Is that right? Correct. And this movie um, literally is paralleling a lot of his experience um, with his father um, as a jazz musician. Um, Joie is in this movie as one of the love interests. Um it's stylish. It's sexy. Um, I love, I love, there's nothing better than fake instrument acting. <laughs> I just love it so much. And they are doing it like the piano, the the, the trumpet, the saxophone. Wesley Snipes and that sax, killer. It, it is also the first time in which 
Spike Lee, what has become the Spike Lee signature shot is included in a film, which is the double dolly, which the camera is placed on a dolly. The actor is placed on a dolly. They travel together. So they kind of look like they're floating, though. Spike Lee and Ernest Dickerson decided after Mo Better Blues that if they were going to continue to use that shot in movies, it had to serve a good purpose. They did not feel they used it correctly in Mm. Mo Better Blues. And so that's why it starts to to gain much more importance in the films after that. And just a quick aside to get out of the way, he would become a a professor in 93 at uh, NYU's Tisch. uh, And then in 2002, he's appointed artist director and he's now a tenure professor. In 91, we have Jungle Fever, which uh, Spike decides to tackle interracial relationships. Uh, Wesley Snipes, um, who is married to oh my god I just re- realized or remember the first thing that I said when I was watching this movie it opens with him and his wife Wesley Snipes and his wife um, they're a black couple and they're having sex in bed and their kissing is so gross I was like the tongue forwardness and literally all I could think of was like oh my god these heteros making out is really just grinding my gears um but that's like a quick aside for me. The movie is very sexual. Um, honestly, though, the highlight of this movie, I think most people will say, is um, Samuel Jackson and his storyline here as uh, uh, Wesley Snipes' brother, who uh, he's a drug addict. And he is, um, this is the first time we see Halle Berry. This was her big break. Um, yeah. And she is also an addict um, living on the streets. I believe she said she didn't shower for two weeks in preparation Jesus. for the role. Yeah. I like this movie a lot. <laughs> I, I, I liked it a lot, too. And without getting too personally into my life, like if you've ever had a sibling that's addicted to drugs like that mm. shit hits fucking real. And I, literally uh, Samuel Jackson's character is so well played and his performance is so amazing. So much so that at Cannes, they had not had the Best Supporting Actor uh, award. They'd gotten rid of it. And they brought it back just to give it to Samuel wow. Jackson. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, genuinely, I don't know. There's there's so much to like in that film. What is all this shit? Where's the money? Why are you tripping like this? Why don't you just give me the money? I told you, honey, you won't find no money in that pocketbook. I haven't got any money. Not the kind of money you're looking for. $20? Oh, is that all the money you got? Please go. Boy, didn't I tell you never to set foot in my house again? Where's the money? Why are you hiding? Have you lost your natural mind as well as your soul? Didn't I tell you never to darken my door again? Gators, Gators, leave it. He's got his money. I ain't going nowhere. 92 is when Malcolm X comes um, together. And we talked a little bit about it during Angela Bassett's episode. Um, uh, This movie took a lot of time and effort to make. Um, it's one of, uh, the most expensive movies, uh, that he has ever made. And that's not saying a lot. I think he said that this movie cost $35 million to make. Yeah. Um, the most budget he's ever gotten was 40 million. And that was for like the inside man, which was a big studio movie. Um, this movie started off not in Spike's hands. It, you know, went through a couple of different people. I think at one point Norman Jewison was attached to direct it. Yes. Can you imagine Norman Jewison's Malcolm X? I mean. I don't want to. No. Um, (laughs) Spike, I mean, uh, uh, according to uh, reports, Spike had to tell him, like, this is not yours to make. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry, girl, but you got to tap on out. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and 
he had to push so hard against the studio um, to finish making the movie. He, at the end, needed $5 million more million to finish this movie. He literally called Oprah, Prince, Michael Jordan, all these famous, rich black folks. And he said they, it wasn't a loan. It no. was a gift. Yeah. They wrote these checks to finish this movie. Well, I mean, and, and it's it's like slightly deeper than that. And I don't I don't know how if this is too inside baseball, but essentially what it was is the film. His contract said the film could only be a particular length. It could not go over three hours long. And he was like, I can't do this under three hours. And when the original cut came in over three hours, the bond company took it over. The studio didn't even have the rights to the movie anymore. The bond company bought it. And so it, he had to bond the movie out to get the rights to it back. And that's what everybody donated all the money for, which is a crazy thing. But it's one of those things that people forget. Filmmaking is more often than not a corporate art. And so, yeah, yeah. but I but it's amazing that, that all the corporate do. art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Malcolm X is a breathtaking piece of film. And and I think also uh, his movies are long, like they are long, yeah. but there has not been one of those movies um, from Malcolm X to uh, to Five Bloods, where I was not uninterested. Absolutely, I'm thoroughly engaged. I'm thoroughly just like absorbed into his world. He is giving you three and a half hours of visuals, energy, sexuality, uh, fun. There, I mean, yeah. and and um, yeah, Malcolm X feels like a celebration of black life and it you know when i was watching it for angela bassett that was right when the protests had started and it, it's just like i could feel my body radiating you know it's uh, it's a powerful movie these are the questions you and i have to ask how did we get this mind you're not an american you're an african who happens to be an american you have to understand the difference we didn't come over on the, the nita the pinta and the, and, the, and the whatchamacallit we didn't land on plymouth rock Plymouth Rock landed on us. Landed right on top of us. Shorty, is that you, brother? Praise be to Allah. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about, the slave mentality, the slave mind. This brother and I, we had the slave mind. We used to rob together. We used to sleep with white women. We even went to prison together. Now, don't be surprised when I say we went to prison because some of y'all still in prison right now. Prisons of your mind. And it's so much more than a traditional biopic. And I think not enough people recognize that uh, because there are so many traditional biopics that that get praise lauded upon them that kind of stick to one format. And Spike Lee's right. such an inventive filmmaker, you know, different film stocks, uh, unexpected camera angles, uh, the, the yeah. s- simply the way that he, you know, he plays uh, production like a symphony. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's just, it's an incredibly impressive achievement. And the fact that it, it wasn't even nominated for best picture is, I mean, wild. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just so you know, Malcolm X is on Netflix right now. So, uh, if you've got some time and I suspect you do, um, there's an intermission, take the intermission, make yourself a grilled cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Um, another quick aside, um, in 1992 is when uh, Spike also met his wife, uh, Tanya Lewis. Um, They were married a year after they met. They have one daughter and one son, uh, Satchel and Jackson, which I think are such cute names. Yeah. 
after Malcolm X, I think everyone was kind of like, what is he going to do? Like, what? how how could you, you know, follow up with that? And um, and I think people could, because people were like, oh, this is Spike is so angry and Spike is so, I think that was the peak of that for him. Um, and he comes in 1994 with, with Crooklyn, which um, he wrote with his brother and sister. And it's truly just about living in Brooklyn and a black family yeah. and they're and and I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this where it's literally just coming of age children and, and um you see Delroy Lindo who we'll see again also and who he works with um a lot um and uh we talked about Crooklyn in our Alfred Woodard episode um and uh yeah I I, I think Crooklyn is a very special special movie Absolutely. And and as you mentioned, it's written by his sister. And Spike Lee says that it is the most autobiographical film he's he's ever directed. So for what that what's um, that that's worth, you know, he's he's said in right. interviews, Alfred Woodard plays his mom in that movie. Oh, Spike is also not afraid of genre. You know, in 95, he does Clockers, which you get the debut of Mackay Pfeiffer, um, a, a great young black actor who we'll see later in life. And do great things. I think Clockers is hard to watch, but in all the best ways. I yeah. enjoyed it. And the, the the even just the beginning. Oh, Spike loves a good credits moment. Yeah, um, he loves a good music moment. Oh my um, god, his his knowledge of music, what whatever it is, doesn't matter. It could be classical. Could be something that came out yesterday at like four p.m. and by right. five he knows everything about it. It's insane. His knowledge of music is, I mean, maybe the, one of the most impressive things about him. Moving forward, Girl 6 was one of the first, or is the first movie that he directed that he did not write at all. Yes. Um, it was actually written by um, Susan Laurie Parks, who you might know from Top Dog Underdog, um, which won, I think, the Pulitzer for drama. All I'll say about Girl 6 is that I think it's trying to be saying something it's real sloppy doppy though it is a little sloppy i do like some of the stuff in it Uh, i'll be perfectly honest i i have never had an issue watching girl six and and not it getting something out of it that you know i mean jennifer lewis's character is is so much fun and also i always think it's funny that it's the first film that he didn't have a hand in writing and yet the opening monologue and the closing monologue are the opening monologue from she's gotta have it the only reason I've consented to doing this is because I wish to clear my name. Not that I care what people think, but enough is enough. Uh, uh, hold Some on, people hold on, call whoa, me. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Yeah, well, can I finish my monologue, please? Oh my God! I also will say that I just think Teresa Randall is really good. She's amazing. Yeah. She, she's not that it's important, but she's stunning, a gorgeous actress, um, and. Again, a very well-rounded um, figure. Um, also, Quint- I mean, this movie's batshit crazy. Quentin Tarantino's in it. Madonna's yeah. in it. Na- I love that Naomi Quentin Tarantino's. I, w- I love that Quentin Tarantino's in it, basically to be like, "Fuck you, Quentin Tarantino." In the same year, Get on the Bus comes out, which I thought, you know, I had literally had never heard of the Million Man March. Um, what? Yeah, I know. Wow. I was like six. But anyway, Get on the Bus is about a, a group of men from uh, California 
going to the, the Million Men March, which was supposed to be this big gathering, um, million black men. Um, I think it's kind of beautiful. I, I thought, you know, uh, seeing black men um, being emotional and uh, sensitive. You also, I mean, uh, Gavin, we're eventually going to get there, but and maybe now is a good time to talk about um, Spike talks about gay people quite a bit yeah. in the movies. Um, not ever at the forefront, I would say. No. Um, and and certainly this... not always a, a good take. No. no, no, certainly not. And I, I, it's hard for me to like kind of parse through whether he's just giving you the reality of that. Um, right. I, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that traditional, um, you know, black families, maybe in the South or, you know, the idea of homosexuality has not always been um, accepted. And in this movie, Get on the Bus, you get, I mean, it's kind of groundbreaking to even see this character who is very out, um, very assured of himself. He's a professional man. He wants to go and be part of this. And there are other characters who are like, so where do you, do you do not think gay black men should be part of this like what what and isaiah washington is funnily ironically enough in this movie as a not out gay man uh yeah it's 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 just interesting and at the very least i want to i appreciate spike lee um including those the grains of that um conversation because it would have been very easy to just ignore it you a republican or something yeah and damn proud of it who you nigga gingrich you got a problem with that i don't see how any black man could be a republican i don't see how any black man can't got that right well here we go again democrats want to keep us powerless docile begging for handouts and if we run around having babies without even a minute plan for their future they said that's okay Take a few more handouts. Have a few more babies. A gay black Republican. Now I know I've seen everything. According to my observation, Flip, you haven't seen much. Absolutely. And and I I one of the things I love about watching Spike Lee's films, and what was cool about doing this over the two weeks is is watching he watching his stance on certain issues evolve or seemingly mm-hmm. evolve. And and I do think like as you watch his films, I think he because he's somebody that's constantly like, wake up said in so many of his films and he's all about educating other people and wanting other people to be educated he's also educating himself and and i i genuinely think like this was an important step in his evolution especially for his presentation of homosexuality in his films can i tell you real quick um this was my dad's favorite spike lee movie i have seen Uh. this maybe more than any other spike lee movie i love it so much and it sucks obviously that there's not that many women in it and that's addressed multiple times because everybody's like isn't it a bit sexist the million man march but i have to say this cast and these are names you should know because i mean everybody knows like the wesley snipes and they know the denzel washingtons but these other you know, formative black actors, Thomas Jefferson Bird, Ozzie Davis, Charles S. Dutton, Roger Smith, who shows up a lot, Andre Brower, who isn't even in that many Spike Lee films, but like he's so good in this movie. He's um, so good in this one. Uh, Wendell Pierce, who's in it for like maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, they, these are other... is Bernie Mac in this movie? Bernie <laughs> Mac is in this movie. So yeah, like I, I love... Get on the Bus holds a very special place in my heart, and I, and I love how honest and 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 
fair it is. And also one of the things I, I think um, it's going to come up a little bit later is I think Spike Lee is one of the most brilliant um, directors in terms of taking a theatrical production and, and, and turning it into film. And this feels like this could be a play, but it is absolutely so, so cinematic. He does such a good job at, at making it feel like cinema with a capital C. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. Get on the buses. Very good. And also another film that's on Netflix right now and you should watch it. In 97, he directs his first feature documentary on Four Little Girls. Uh, I will admit, Gavin, I did not get to Four Little Girls. Oh my god, it is so fucking good. It is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. It is about the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama, in which four little girls died. It was a racially motivated uh, terrorist attack, and I'm gonna fucking call it a terrorist attack because that's exactly what it was intending to do. Um, And four young black girls died, and essentially this documentary ends up helping the FBI reopen this case and catch the people that did it the fbi jagger hoover was not exactly a friend to the black people um Mm. and he he just wasn't interested in investigating this and so this documentary which you know the the bombing happened in 63 the documentary comes out in 97 so 35 years later 34 years later finally gets some modicum of justice for these girls and this documentary has it's so good and so heartfelt and it and it's amazing to to listen to these poor mothers who have to talk about their daughters that died and and just it's really respectful and also like he gets fucking george wallace and it's so i heard him talk about get the process of getting george wallace but one of the most racist politicians in the entire history of america like outwardly racist famous for saying segregation then segregation now segregation forever uh he got him in an interview and he has said the only reason he got george wallace is because he was a religious man close to death and he wanted to repent because he wanted to make sure he got into heaven so yeah four little girls is an hbo produced movie it's on hbo if you have um if if you have an hbo subscription i highly recommend watching it it's under two hours it's and it's so informative that's uh one that i will have to revisit in 1998 he got game comes out another denzel collab um i think this movie is interesting for two things one aaron copeland Hello? Yeah. Um, I believe believe all the music is Aaron Copeland and Public Enemy. Yes. And then also um, Ray Allen, um, famous NBA all-star in the Hall of Fame, um, stars in this movie. um, Or I guess is the co-star. It plays Denzel's son. um, And... Yeah, I think this was this was Spike's love letter to basketball. In 2000, he has two things come out. The first is he directs the original Kings of Comedy, which I think is legend in, I would say, comedy circles. Certainly, like, anyone who cares about black comedy. Um, Steve Harvey, D.L. Hughley, Cedric the Entertainer, and Bernie Mac. Literally on stage, uh, it was an MTV production. Spike brings the same energy he does to his movies, to these more theatrical productions um spike it should also be said loves all types of art he loves painting he loves music he loves theater i think he said that he went and saw hamilton eight times five of those times was when it was at the public before it moved to broadway (laughs) he also has directed 
theatrical productions for, for shows uh, uh, and, and their live recordings. So um, he's obviously invested in, in that as well. He also has Bamboozled comes out, which you mentioned earlier, which I think is maybe his most complicated movie. I just thought it was the most like, I've got something to say. Um, <laughs> can you talk to me about like, because tech, technically this movie looks different than his so other movies. It was shot on consumer grade DV cameras, which are just the little handheld DV cameras that you can buy like at Target. Um, the reason it was done this way was so that they could have 15 cameras rolling at once. So at any wow. given shot, there are multiple, multiple cameras going at the same time. Um, also, a lot of TV shows that were shot in that era were shot on early digital. And so what he was attempting to do was replicate the look of a TV show, but not for the portions in which the TV show is shown. Um, Bamboozle right. is a film in which Damon Wayans is a is a fed up TV exec and he basically he creates a modern day minstrel show. The modern day minstrel show portions are all shot on 16 millimeter film, which is why that color is super saturated and bright. That grain is real big and it looks so different than everything else in the film. Right. The movie is a little bit all over the place for me. I think it's 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 the, it's the producers meets network. It really is because it's it's a a producer coming up with a concept that he's sure will fail. And then it's a huge hit. And the right. concept is something that America should see through should be totally right. against. But they get completely bamboozled into believing it's yeah. something acceptable. Right. And it's uh, Mantan um, is the show. And it's literally they pick up these like tap performers off the street and yeah. put them in blackface. Jada Pinkett Smith plays um, Damon Wayans' assistant, and she's like, we have to be ready for the outrage. America is going to hate us. We're going to have riots and letters. And nothing happens, and America loves... I mean, loves there it. is a startling, very hard scene where the, this guy in blackface goes out into the live audience and is asking everyone, are you an N-word? Are you an N-word? And they all stand up, and they all say, I'm the most around and it's white people asian people brown people black people, like even black people are bought into it like it's spike throwing the fucking gauntlet down i think anger can be very constructive and i think he's attempting to create to get in your face and be like listen wake the fuck up and you know yeah. he's he's like i've spent years doing this and and i love the fact that one of my favorite things about the movie is that's what Jada Pinkett Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith's character is literally there to be like, look at the historical implications of this. Look at the way it has hurt people. Look at the way it has affected the way that white people see black people and have seen black people for a hundred years now. And, and still no one will, no one will. And like, right. she's, she's the Cassandra of the film. She's constantly telling them, don't let that giant horse through the gates it will destroy yeah. us. And at the end, Spike sits us all down and gives us five, six minutes of just watching minstrel shows, like cartoons. And and if and again, like if right now you can't protest and you can't give money, you need to like learn something and you understand why things are the way they are. And this movie, through all of the anger and the satire of, of the 
you know, two hour plus movie at the very end, he's going to show you these are the things these were real. This was this is not something we made up. And this was not that long ago. You know, we were literally portrayed as subhuman things for entertainment um, and white people started portraying us as entertainment in these subhuman ways and it's uh, yeah it's it's a it's a very complicated movie but uh you know i think it's important yeah i think so too now mr dunwitty i ask you when was the last time there was a great variety show on the air Carol Burnett. Carol was bugged. Hee haw. Hee haw was good. Keenan and Cal. Yo, that's the stupidest shit on TV, yo. So I say, let's take this form, this very American tradition of entertainment into the 21st century, the new millennium. Okay, okay, no, no. What's the name of the show? We need something that we could sell. Man Tan. The new millennium minstrel show. Man Tan. The new millennium. I really, really like this. You know how I know? I'm getting a boner. I mean, there's clearly a reason it's in the Criterion Collection, but also the Criterion Collection has tiny furniture. So, <laughs> tiny furniture? Yeah. Is yeah. that Lena Dunham's movie? Yep. Sure is. Ah! In 2002, he also makes 25th Hour, um, which is an Edward Norton movie. That's the first film about post, like literally about anxiety post 9 11. It yeah. it's it's so good. It's it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a very I don't know like a a bomb on like you know and and he's like showing you pictures uh, like video of Ground Zero um, and 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 life is happening around it. Um, also, forgot to mention Rosario Dawson in a lot of yeah. his movies, including this one. Um, who is so good? Who are you to get all righteous with me? Huh? Did you disown him? You're his best friend and you never said a thing, but this is my fault? I'm the evil one. But I never took his money. Never once. Not a right How long have you been saving this? Huh? I came over here to talk to my friend Francis. One minute ago, you were my friend. Are you drunk? Tell me you've been drinking too much, you don't know what you're saying. You're fucking drunk. I'm Irish. I can't get drunk, all right? I know exactly what I'm saying. Seven years from now, I'll be at the prison gate and you'll be married to money, right or wrong. What is wrong right with you? Wrong. What is wrong with you? You want me to be the bad guy? Fine, I'm the bad guy. Are you happy now? 2004, we got She Hate Me, uh, which is very fucking weird. Um, yeah. Anthony Mackie, though, one of his first movies that he's in. Um, let's just skip around. Uh, in 2006, we got Inside Man, which I think is his last collab with Denzel. Procedural cop drama type thing, yeah. um, but very good. Very important, 2006, he makes the HBO uh, docuseries When the Levees Broke. It's like four hours long, I think. Uh, yeah. I did not watch it. I hear it's very emotional. I hear it's supremely good. People out there who don't think, you know, for some reason in their brain, movies and documentaries are different things. Turn that off because documentaries are movies. And Turn it off. You, you, and you should watch this. In 2008, he does Miracle at Santa Ana, which... Um, it was when he decided he wanted to make a war movie because fucking Clint Eastwood was making all these war movies right. that had zero black people in it. And he was right. very vocal and very um, oppressed Panini about it. But also later he said that the media overplayed 
the drama, but yeah. still. We get Red Hook Summer in 2012, Old Boy in 2013, which is a, a Korean remake. A remake of a Korean film, yeah. Correct. Um, the Sweet Blood of Jesus in 2014. It's a it's a remake of, uh, we, we briefly, very briefly talked about this film called Ganja and Hess, which is a black mm. vampire film from the 70s. And um, it's Spike Lee's remake of that. We talked about Chirac in our Angela Bassett episode. He also <laughs> directs this like Michael Jackson documentary. And then the, kind of we get to our modern day um, stuff. He does the Netflix She's Gotta Have It series, um, Black Klansman in 2018, which finally, finally, finally gets him his first, um, not only he, so he won the Academy Award for um, Adapted Screenplay, but also get, got him his first nomination for Best Picture and Best Director, which ha- had not happened. In 2015, right. he did get um, awarded an honorary Oscar, but these were yeah, his which first... Is- which is I, oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. All the, like almost all the, my favorite filmmakers have gotten the honorary. It's like great, good job, thanks, thanks. Yeah, the Academy can like suck its own dick. Cool. Yeah. Um, like so, f- from literally, you know, do the right thing till then, he had not been nominated for anything, much less won anything. Um, and it wasn't until 2018 in Black Klansman, um, he's finally getting recognition from the industry. My grandmother, Zimmy Sheldon Retha, who lived to be 100 years young, who was a Spelman College graduate, even though her mother was a slave. My grandma, who saved 50 years of Social Security checks to put her first grandchild, she called me Spiky Poo. She put me through Morehouse College and NYU grad film. Before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who helped build this country and was today, along with the genocide, of his native people. We all connect with our ancestors. We will have love, wisdom, regaining, we will gain our humanity. It will be a powerful moment. The 2020 presidential election is around the corner. Let's all mobilize. Let's all be on the right side of history. Make the moral choice between love versus hate. Let's do the right thing. You know I had to get that in there. Um, Black Klansman also won the Grand Prix at Cannes. I think a lot of people might have said that it was his return. It was, you know, he's back. But honestly, I think it's less about that. And I think it's, you know, he had been making really good movies for a long time. I think Oscar So White was yeah. pivotal in this, you know, um, and, and and to changing attitudes about um, and also just realizing Spike is one of the fucking best, you know? Yeah. Um, and like we mentioned at the top of the show, just last week, *The Five Bloods* came out on Netflix. It was supposed to have a theatrical release um, before premiering on on the streamer, but uh, you know, that's not happening anymore. But um, yeah, yeah that ever kind of, like, anywhere, get, ever anywhere. Um, so that kind of gets us to where we are now, um, and we'll talk about *The Five Bloods* in our fast forward. Um, but I think that kind of. Is there anything else in the rewind you wanted to get get to, Gavin? He also did a ton of commercials uh, in the 90s. Oh, right. He did um, the Buttonfly Jeans commercials for Levi. Nike, some executives had seen uh, She's Gotta Have It, loved the character Mars Blackman, had just signed Michael Jordan to, to do commercials, combined the characters. And so it was Mars Blackman and Michael Jordan, very famous ad campaign. And that really actually helped get 
Spike Lee's name out there. He has said before yeah. he's never intentionally wanted to be an actor, and he doesn't particularly think he's very good in any of his movies, except for Do the Right Thing. But I do think it's funny that in his earlier movies, he takes a like the only reason he played Mars Blackman and she's got to have it is he didn't have an actor for it. But right, right. But the, it is funny that he then continued to play characters in his films. It's rough. It's very hard to be a good actor. And, and I think what I do is limited. So I just try to do my little part and get out of the way and let the great actors like Denzel, Wesley, Anthony Quinn, John Turturro. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, he's playing versions of himself but yeah. you know i think it kind of like lends to the mystique and like uh the the mythos of him and his movies so i'm not mad about it so you're right louis why don't we move into our picks so now we're in our one star reviews going into spike lee's filmography i was I was never not entertained in some way, shape, or form. Even his documentaries, his live theater productions. I don't know if you got to see Passover at all, which is a about nah. an hour and a half um, play that he directed that's on Amazon. He sold it to Amazon, and it it's very good, and it's, it's like waiting for Godot for a modern age, which is the like fourth time that's come up in recent episodes. Uh, but I highly <laughs> recommend it. But uh, but I think if we have to pick one film out of his canon that that just really is not great and not even like a really good representative of what Spike Lee can do, it's got to be 2013's Old Boy, his Mm. his remake of Old Boy. And I think you would agree because it's the only film that does not contain the a Spike Lee joint. It is called a Spike Lee film. And that's because wow. the producers took it away from him and re-edited it. They, it was a much longer movie and they cut it down to like an hour and 40. Um, so he like c- couldn't, didn't take his name off it, which is funny. Cause I, I, I know directors who have taken their names off movies, but he didn't take his name off it. He just called it a Spike Lee film. And yeah. Wow. And old boy, for those who don't know, it's about an ad executive played by Josh Brolin, who he's like a drunken mess and he's not a good family man and he gets kidnapped one night and he spends the next 20 years imprisoned in essentially a hotel room and then is let out and is told that he was put there as as revenge and he has 46 hours to figure out why he was in prison and what the the person that imprisoned him is getting revenge for. Uh, let me tell you, translating this film to uh, an American audience like exposed all the flaws. And I like the original old boy, mm. but this it felt much stupider <laughs> than, than, than Park Chan-wook's original 20, uh, 2003 film. Um, it was I don't I don't I also don't understand the purpose of remaking a film If you have nothing new to say, which is not to say that there are not plot elements that are different. There are plot elements that are different, but just changing a couple facts around doesn't mean that you're bringing anything interesting to the table. And so, like, maybe you get occasional, like, like, mm, Spike Lee shots in there and a little bit of the Spike Lee style. But for the most part, it's it's like watching it's like showing up and watching a cover band of one of your favorite bands. And so it's Spike Lee doing his best Park Chan-wook. And it it's not 
I don't know. It doesn't play that well. Uh, as I mentioned, um, Josh Brolin stars in it. Elizabeth Olsen plays the 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 woman that, that he meets after he gets out who helps him uh, figure out everything that's going wrong. Samuel Jackson. Um, it, I think this is maybe the first time he worked with him post Jungle Fever uh, before wow. Chirac. Um, and Samuel Jackson's the only person who's clearly having fun in this movie, basically playing the same character he played in the spirit. Um, and, <laughs> uh, Michael Imperioli's in this, but the biggest crime, and I'm so sorry because I have seen him be good in movies, but it's very few and far between. The villain of the film is played by Charlotte Copley, and I, I just don't like him. <laughs> I just don't think he's very good. And... <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry to this man. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry to this man. Answer two questions. One, who am I? And two, why did I imprison you for 20 years? If you provide satisfactory answers to both of these questions in a little more than 46 hours from now, you win. Refusal of the challenge brings the same result as failure. You stay a fugitive from justice. You get no reward, no closure. And I kill your daughter. It's a mess. There's. I'm not going to spoil the ending for you because I really think if you want to watch a version of Old Boy, you should see the 2003 original. Um, and there's, there's like some twists. Uh, oh, you wanted the twists? And, but but she's got him but yeah but when you get to this film it's like no ma'am um mm, the, the high point and of, shout yeah yeah the the high point of this film is elizabeth olsen and i spent most of the time just feeling bad she was in it so <laughs> yeah so my one star review is definitely that louis what is your one star review <sighs> oh my god i i'm like waffling between two there's like a very controversial pick that i thought i was gonna like be strong about but now like that i'm reading like my notes i'm like I'm just being silly, Billy. Do you need me to hold your hand digitally? Be strong, Please. Louis. <laughs> um, well, no, because I feel... Okay, I, I'm i going to talk about my controversial pick later, but I think the true, like, necessary one-star moment of Spike's filmography is 2004's She Hate Me. Um, and because... I think he sometimes gets lost in his message. Um, she Hate Me is allegedly a comedy, but it's not. Um, starring Anthony Mackie and Carrie Washington, um, who we had not seen before. And it, it was great seeing her. Um, but essentially, Anthony Mackie is this pharma executive um, and he is oh, he whistleblows on them. Uh, this is maybe like Spike Lee's like Enron movie. He's yeah. you know trying to say something about corporations and money, um, but also through like this really fucked up and crazy lens of sex and I don't know lesbianism and um, pregnancy. Essentially, Anthony Mackie um, gets found out and his company headed by Ellen Barkin. I was like, hello, ma'am, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, they they cut off all his resources and money. And so Anthony Mackie's down on his luck and he just wants to do <laughs> the right thing. Um, but Carrie Washington kind of storms into his life again um, and they have a past. They used to be together, but then turns out she's 
a lesbian or bisexual. I don't know. Probably more on by the bisexual side than lesbian. Yeah, yeah. The the movie's a little murky in that territory. Um, and, and and it just feels like Spike isn't even sure what he's talking about. Essentially, she's like, I know a bunch of rich lesbians who want sperm for babies, so we're gonna take yours. And essentially, is like, we're gonna charge ten thousand dollars, and you're gonna bone all my lesbian friends. And they're going to have the babies they want. And all I could think was like, no, it's 2004. <laughs> and these women are like, fine, I'll guess I'll have sex with this man. Like, n- no, like the, they wouldn't want to do that. And also they like the spread of women that they show us is borderline offensive. You will have to come back tomorrow. I'm sorry, but I don't have anything left. See, you made that up. Trust me. You have my $10,000, and I'm not coming back tomorrow. So, I don't know what you're going to have to do, but you're going to have to do something, so. That's pitiful. It's been a long day. So if you come back tomorrow, I'm sure it'll be all okay. You have my money. Now, I don't know if you need to go watch some porno flicks. I don't know, call Fatima, Alex, somebody, have some phone sex. Whatever you need to do, you need to get it up. Get this thing, okay? Okay, okay, okay. You know, women don't even have this problem. It's, this is just, to me, the most unfocused, um, and I don't know what he's trying to say here. She she's a messy gal. She's kind. It's but she's no ma'am gift. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah like, waitress. Waitress. Everyone. Waitress. We're gay. <laughs> I do like things about it, and I I want. But you're right. You're. I think everything you're saying is right. I I will give this movie one more thing before we move off of it. Shrita Chowdhury. Yes. Oh my god. Ever Wait, so bu- briefly. Ever so briefly. Also, before we go though, I put this on our Instagram. Actual cartoon sperm. With Anthony Mackie's face superimposed onto it. Okay, let's get off. She hates me. So was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like? Okay, I just this is my controversial pick. I think He Got Game is not good. Really? The reviews they are mixed. I like and appreciate the idea of wanting to show basketball as this beautiful game and giving it the um uh, the loving treatment that other sports get as America's pastime. I, I, I appreciate that. I love the Aaron Copeland music. Um, I don't think, I think Ray Allen was fine. I think Denzel is also fine. I think why the fuck is Mila Jovovich in this movie? Yeah. What the fuck is that storyline even about? I am not naive to think that the things that they show in this movie are not real, but I also, and maybe this is just like, this is what, 98 and looking at it from a modern perspective, it's all about um, this kid, Jesus, played by um, Ray Allen, who has to pick where he's going to school. He's the number one, whatever, high school basketball player who needs to choose where he's going to school. And his dad, who's in jail, gets released because the governor wants him to convince him to go to his alma mater. But um but it's like spike lee taking down like professional basketball or professional and how people commodify um black men just for entertainment which i get but like all these other people are like come to our school and like you're gonna get laid and so there's a lot of like to me it felt like the most like objectify type grossness and i was just like it seems very cynical. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to get boiled down to. 
it seems like a very cynical view of uh, uh, this kid who is going to be very successful, you know, and has a bright future ahead of him and how people are trying to take advantage of him. And it just felt a little heavy handed to me. And yeah. And in the, and in the end, it kind of felt like a little bit of a nothing burger because in the end, there's no grand anything. So, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I obviously liked it a bit better than you. I, I didn't dislike Denzel's performance. I my my big issue with that movie is the, the entire conceit of it is so ridiculous that it's just like. They wouldn't just let right, somebody out right. of prison for right because the governor like yeah you better get your boy to go to quote big state I... university Lol. oh my god yeah the name the names of the colleges are it's like it's like state university and big tech university it's just like yeah spike yeah. you come on they're like you have you have to come to tech you I was like tech you ma'am <laughs> that's just my own little bugaboos um was there anything that you did not um like. Or was on the I, lower end of the spectrum for you? I mean, the only other thing I can really think of that like re- really bugged me enough to be like, Ugh, I hate this was The Sweet Blood of Jesus. And I don't think it's the worst film I've ever seen. In fact, I think, I, you know, it's a lot of it's shot on digital. And I do think there are some really beautiful moments in it um, in terms of look. But it, it's just I I don't think spike lee should remake movies because <laughs> i think when he's remaking them he loses what he's trying to say about and like clearly there's some differences between ganja and hess in this and and it feels like maybe there's a little more dialogue in the sweet blood of jesus about uh gentrification in comparison to the original but man oh man is it you know for being under two hours it's a bit of a slog and and the characters Oof. feel real dull and it just it it just doesn't it doesn't work in the way that i think he's thinking it works but you know that movie was it was the money for it was raised on kickstarter and and being the kind of playful person he is the movie begins with an official spike lee joint because it was the first oh. movie he made after old boy so wow yeah salty yeah. girl <laughs> but um, yeah i mean that that's really my only other one that i i took you know much of an issue with fire all right let's move into our five-star reviews my five-star review pretty clear to me uh it is 1988 school days i just had i mean so one, I am a sucker for young adults. I love, I love uh, all stories about um, high school and college age people. I think they're so fun. Um, and School Days just is bursting with energy. And girl, imagine it is your second film, and you decide to take oh, I don't know, eight minutes to have a full musical number of black women dancing and singing about good hair and quote bad hair. I was shook. Uh, it's, it, and also I just, again, I love this was, it was 1988. I'm sure there was not a lot of black culture on film. He takes the time to really put you in this universe, showing um, these fraternities and sororities doing their lines and stepping um, the parades, the, the football game. It's all just so, so fun. Um, 
just so you know, the school is about, uh, you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Dap, who is really politically motivated, and he is trying to get the school, which is a fictional HBCU, to divest from um, South Africa. And there's his side of uh, the student population, and then there's this other side um, of fraternity brothers uh, who who are, I think they're called like the Rays, uh, or Gamma Phi Gamma, um, and they're led by uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character, and uh, Spike Lee plays Half Pint, who is the cousin of Dap, who's trying to get in, and they're having to do all these like really embarrassing, and it, I mean they're being hazed. Um, Tisha Campbell plays uh, the lead of the Gamma Rays, which is like the female offshoot of the fraternity, and there's a lot of talk about colorism um, and, and and just you know being what what type of black person quote unquote are you? Um, right. uh, my favorite part, my favorite part beyond the musical moment is when they go into town and they run into um, I think it's Samuel Jackson. It is Samuel Jackson, and these other black men who just live in town who are townies and. These are the guys who think they are, uh, you know, the the college students are trying to, you know, make a connection or, 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 you know, they just want some salt and they realize, you know, that um, the townies, they think that these college black kids are even snooty and think that they're better than everyone else. And so it's this weird, super interesting conversation about class and society um and again just showing uh, the black culture in a way that we hadn't seen before and i think is very rarely looked upon again you come to our town year after year and take over we was born here gonna be here and gonna die here and can't find jobs because of you yeah right. uh, can, can we go okay can we just go? we may not have your education but we ain't dirt neither and ain't nobody said all of that all right you mission Park's always talking down to us. Look, brother, I'm real sorry that you feel that way, okay? I'm really sorry about that. Are you black? Take a look in the mirror, man. It reminded me a lot, and I bet you um, all of Dear White People is inspired a lot by this movie um, because it's, again, about students who are figuring themselves out um, at a historically black college. I just think it's, and and, it, and like you had mentioned, it's a little bit like overstuffed, but as Spike has said, he wanted to fit in tons and tons of stuff. So there's song and dance moments, there's drama, there's sex. It's, and, and at the end, classic Spike, it literally ends with them saying, wake up, wake up. Um, yeah, I just, it's so good. This movie, I want to live in this universe. <laughs> A couple things just on the on the other side of that um, the movie is a clear, clear inspiration to the TV show A Different World, which was a spinoff of the Cosby show. Yes. Um, a lot of the actors from this movie went on to play characters in A Different World. Spike Lee has said other, you know, other black people he's met have have told him that this movie was responsible for them wanting to go to college because this sort of higher education was rarely presented in in this format for black kids and so that's a really cool thing i will ask you though and i know it's of its time so you can't get too mad um how did you feel about the like super homophobic music number though it's it's interesting to think i mean because so what i uh, according to wikipedia 
they Spike Lee literally treated the two sets of groups very differently. Like if you were part of the Gammas, they set them up in really nice hotels. Uh, and if you weren't, you were like in really fucking shitholes. And that scene specifically when they're doing their line and um, presenting um, their fraternities, it, the fight that you see in the movie is real. Like it wasn't, it wasn't scripted. It was like, you know, they fucking hate each other. Um, and, but the, the like crescendo to that is uh, Lawrence Fishburne's group calling the gammas faggots um over and over and i get and again i think you know this was 88 and spike has said you know how immature he was and but also he's reflecting the reality of his experience at morehouse i'm sorry honey but i do not doubt that in the 70s and 80s that is the language that was being used it's hard to hear it's hard to watch and the one thing i guess i can say about that is it inspired Justin Simeon and, and stuff like Dear White People where you get all of that, but we're in a such richer world where you get queer life at a historical black university. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is it hurt to hear it for sure. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, but um, I think Spike has often said he's... But it's he's, honest. I, I, was just, yeah. I mean, more than anything, I was just curious. I I agree. I agree with everything you said. I, I don't think it takes a... But it is shocking when you it's you shocking forget. I mean, right and it may be hurt is like the wrong word i'm not like personally offended but like it's only shocking in that like it's it's not just like a a drive-by thing it is like a repetitive right you know the these two groups hate each other and this one group decides to call them faggots and and over and over in a song and dance number um and these are the supposed to be like the morally superior right. group. And that's, and and that's, that's what makes... maybe what I take issue with is that they're supposed right, to be right. the, the quote unquote good guys. Also, real quick, just want to talk about appropriation. Uh, the musical number that occurs before that is called Ice Ice Baby. Um, and Vanilla Ice steals those lyrics, like the lyrics and the beat, and applies them to Under Pressure and creates an entire hit based off of no work of his own. <laughs> And I just still to this day, I'm always just like, what is, other than like the the like shitty rap portion, what is original about that song? Nothing. Anyways, I digress. Great. Classic white people stealing shit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great five star review pick. Um, I, what about you, Gavin? I mean, I this is going to sound really basic. I do think he's made many, many films since then. And I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, he peaked early. No, I think he's had an amazing career and he's made many things. Uh, great since then, but my five-star review has got to be 1989's Do the Right Thing. I just genuinely, it, it's, it's such an important movie uh, because it it's about a time and a place and yet is so prescient to what's happening now. Nonetheless, yeah. I um, do the right thing for those who haven't seen it, which honestly, if you have not seen it, pause the podcast, go watch <laughs> it right now. But it's a film. It's on Netflix. Go do it. It's a film that takes place uh, on during one day on the hottest day in New York City. It is on one street block in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Spike Lee plays... Uh, I guess he's the main character with so many characters in it. Mookie, who's a 25 year old pizza delivery guy. Uh, he works for Sal played by Danny Aiello. Um, they are 
uh, Italian-American pizza owners, him and his his two kids, uh, Pino, played by John Turturro, and Vito, played by uh, Richard Edison. And and essentially what it is, is it's it's just about life on this block during this one day. It's in, it's incredibly hot. Everybody is outside. You know, they've, they've turned on the hydrants. They're eating ice cream on on the steps, you know, drinking beer on the steps. Um, like I mentioned, all these different characters. Ozzy Davis plays Demare, who's constantly wandering around. Ruby D, uh, who is Ozzy Davis's wife in real life, uh, an amazing actor as well, plays mother sister, who watches the neighborhood from a brownstone. Um, Radio Rahim, who wanders around, played by Bill Nunn, blasting public enemies, uh, fight the power. Um, Roger Smith, who is a mentally challenged man, constantly asking people for money. Um, and uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Buggin' Out, who's kind of... Um, He's high strung. He's really high strung. And essentially, yeah. you know, he picks a fight with Sal because there's no black people on his wall of fame, which is all full of Italian Americans, which is also funny when you think about it because Giancarlo Esposito is Italian. Uh, but, but anyways, I digress. Um, and essentially, that's what causes the, the main issue. He goes in, uh, st- starts in real trouble, ends up calling the police. What I tell you about that noise? What I tell you about the pitch? What the fuck are you saying? Are you? Fuck you! We want the black people on that motherfucking wall of fame now! Try to go fucking home and be all fucking day bugging out! With that jungle music off, we ain't enough! Why ain't gonna be my jungle music? Why ain't gonna be my Africa? It's about them fucking bitches! It's about turning that shit off and get the fuck out of my place! I think everybody sort of knows how this film ends. Radio Rahim gets choked to death and, and it leads to um, a, a violent burning down of Sal's pizza place, um, which is sparked by Mookie throwing a trash can through his window. I know these are heavy spoilers, but really like none of this spoils the film go knowing this no. going in. Um, it's, it's a really important film. It's, it's about race relations. It's, it's, uh, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, um, a character dies in the same way that black men have been black men and black women have been dying by the hands of police in these chokeholds, uh, for time and memoriam in the United States. And, you know, it's still to this day, it's so telling that when Radio Rahim dies, uh, the characters name other black people who have died due to police violence up until that point too. And, the, and these are just names of, of recent ones that had happened. Um, Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Griffith, Arthur Miller Jr., Edmund Perry, Yvonne Smallwood, and Michael Stewart. And you, you can just feel the oxygen in the air leave the room when this happens because it is something that is still happening to this day. Obviously, beyond the um, beyond the implications of how it connects to society now, it is also a gorgeous capital F filmmaking film, just like every decision that was made from 
the the opening of the film with Rosie Perez dancing, which Spike Lee has said was inspired by the opening of the musical Bye Bye Birdie in which Anne Margaret dances in front of the screen. He wanted to recreate that with Rosie Perez um, to the idea that they painted everything in the film reds and oranges just so it looked hot. Everything, you know he he's just brilliant behind the camera he's brilliant in front of the camera and i i think you know as i said he's had other films that i think are amazing or possibly even just as great malcolm x deserves to be up there Mm -hmm. in our five-star reviews but i i really think this this film is important uh because of of everything that goes into it you know it it is truly a five-star film Ding, ding, ding. Correct. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's nothing else to say. I mean, it's I I watched it for the first time for this and me and Derek sat down and watched it, I think, before going to the protest. And, you know, it's just kind of like like you said, the oxygen leaves the room and you're just kind of like radiating. Right. Um, And it's so wild. You're, You're thinking, like, how is this movie made in the 80s? And and it was inspired by murdering of black men in a chokehold and that's still happening and we're still fighting. It is, um, it's fucking sad. It's just fucking it's, sad. I, yeah. And it, and it's one of those things where you're just like, you know, it, it it's almost like you can't say it's ahead of its time because no. that stuff just keeps happening. Right. Um, like you mentioned, I think Malcolm X is, a masterpiece. Yeah, um, absolutely. I and there are a lot of movies that like you said that I think are really important. I think would I mean anyone... four, four Little Girls is up there. Four Little Girls deserves that Oscar nomination. It maybe deserved the Oscar win. Um I also really like Bamboozled. I don't think I don't think Bamboozled's a mess by any means. I think it's all very like it's I I think it is maybe his most focused in terms of just really he's like i have a message i am jasmine masters and i have something to say and hello and yeah and so i i think bamboozled is is really up there too with like just pure just pure undistilled spike lee right and i will say just because this is the movie that he you know has been most acclaimed for black klansman i watched it in a theater with friends and i just remember walking out crying and it was because the movie, if you don't remember, at the end, he's using real footage from the um, Virginia um, rallies and protests where, you know, literally a woman was murdered by some fucking white supremacist. And and he just does that to you. And a lot of his movies, it's just this. This is not just entertainment. You know, it's reactions and reflections of the real world. And it's just so shocking. Um and uh yeah he and he does that with a lot of his movies so it, truly what a what a gift to like have to even choose one five star review because there's so many that are so good there's so many and as i mentioned before you know get on the bus i just holds like such a special place in my heart um yeah so before we get out of our reviews let's do our mixed reviews review so my one star review was 2013's old boy my one-star review was 2004's She Hate Me. 
And my five-star review was 1989's Do the Right Thing. My five-star review was 1988's School Days. Snap. So, Gavin, let's get into our fast-forward. So, Gavin, like we mentioned, uh, Spike Lee has a new joint out right now, uh, Defive Bloods, on Netflix. Um, I watched it today. I think I heard you watched it. I did. Um, what do we think? What do we stink? Uh, <laughs> how dare. Um, I, I liked it a lot, actually. I, I thought it was really inventive. I liked the way that it used different film formats. I liked his message a lot. And I love I love his... It's so funny. I didn't. I, I had no question about this, but apparently some film critic was like, uh, oh, like, like, it's strange that they didn't do anything to de-age the actors for the for the vietnam scenes and i thought that was such a bold obvious choice that like you know um it's, it's funny i had read something too where he was like yeah well we didn't have uh 130 million dollars yeah the irishman money to de-age he's like so we just decided to use the actors as is literally um, i would rather watch this movie 10 more times and watch the irishman again okay <laughs> the uh yeah it's it's really great it's a it's a film about um four black men who served in vietnam who decide to go back to retrieve the body of their fallen commander played by chadwick boseman who died during the war um but they also have an ulterior motive which is they're there to collect gold Treasure. that they buried while they were serving there yeah yeah it's very uh sneaky i think it's a really great thriller um it's fun but it's also very deep and moving there's a lot of i mean i think the main message of this is that war never ends um yes and it's i, I it's uh, yeah it's just it's very again it's it's long, but it doesn't feel long. And no, and 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 there's there's interesting undercurrents that have to deal with some of his other films. You know, there's there's the different there's the the supposed class differences between characters. Delroy Lindo's character, Delroy Lindo, who is amazing in this movie, mm-hmm. is a hardcore Trump supporting conservative. Right. Um, and it's funny. I'd read Delroy Lindo begged spike lee to change the character and spike lee was like no these people exist um i i you know there's a lot to say about the difference in which people perceive themselves the difference way the outside world perceives them i love the element of propaganda used throughout the movie latchi your government sent six hundred thousand troops to crush the rebellion your soul sister and soul brothers are enraged in over 122 cities. They kill them. Why you fight against us? So far away from where you are needed. It feels almost very much like there was some propaganda used by the Nazis in um, uh, Miracle at St. Anna. And I think it's interesting to to look at how they're handled differently in this um and i i think those are you know i i don't know there there's lots of interesting stuff there's stuff about fatherhood yeah um secrets and lies and i I don't want to say too too much because i genuinely think you guys should should see it i do think this is 
I don't know. It's one of my favorite films of his in a long time. I've seen some people say it's messy. I do not think it's messy. No. I think it's it's very well thought out. Um, I yeah. think I, I it feels very loving. This movie, even though like Delroy's character feels like maybe the, the world has turned its back on him or whatever, um, it, it doesn't feel cynical. And there's a lot of love in this movie and it ends in a very uplifting way. Um, I do want to say, take one moment. We haven't mentioned... Um, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who is in a lot of his movies, and you might, if you are going through um, the filmography of, of of Spikes, you'll notice often there is a character who will come on stage or on screen, um, and it, literally it could be any. It's in Twenty Fifth Hour. Um, it's in this movie, and yeah. it's always. I think Twenty Fifth Hour is the first one that his character appears in, and um, he is known because he says she. It is, and it's not just like that, but it is just like that. Um, yeah. Also in Defy Bloods, Clark Peters, who is a fucking treasure of an actor, and and does not get enough credit for everything that he's done over the years. He continue. I didn't mention before. He um, directed the uh, live stage version of Passing Strange. Um, I think in two thousand eight. Yes. Um, and he's headed back to the theater. He is directing um the uh american utopia um live theater concert extravaganza right. the, the the david byrne yes. broadway concert uh yeah i'm super excited i love david byrne i love spike lee spike lee loves music like mm-hmm. I, I think it's just a match made in heaven yep and i and and genuinely his um directing of uh passing strange is one of the best as i mentioned before he has this great quality of when he does live shows really making it feel kinetic making you know one of the great things about passover as i mentioned the film that's on amazon is he really finds a way to incorporate the audience and really it it sort of makes you feel like you were there uh yeah so i'm i'm very excited about that i guess looking forward to the future I think the the main thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, this Oscar so white push that we've been through for the past, oh, five-ish years. And it seems like, you know, the pressure that society has been putting on the, the industry and the academy is working and it needs to keep working. And I'd be just interested in seeing, you know, what, uh, a rise. I mean, Spike was supposed to be the the presiding over Can this year, right? Like, I think he was like, yeah. Um, and I wonder, like, in my head, I'm like, oh man, what would have he have, you know, really loved at Can and, and and awarded and lifted up. Um, and so I'm just excited. I mean, I we're so lucky that he's still around and still making such great film. When finally culture is turning and like correcting um all these like injustices um so i'm excited about what's next uh uh for him and also for the industry to start recognizing his work and i think one of the more interesting changes too has been he is somebody who's really embraced streaming in a way that other filmmakers haven't and one of the great things about streaming is it does allow for you know these these budgets for films that would be considered small or maybe that other people wouldn't have bought. I said this on the last episode when we talked about Chirac is I don't think anybody else would have put out Chirac. And thank God for a, a streaming company to to come along and, and, and 
see the potential in that and and put their money into it and give him a budget in which to do it with and and so like i'm curious to see where he next goes but also i'm i kind of love the way that he's been working these companies and using them for the advantages that they can provide him totally and it also allows other people to see you know like earlier today i was on netflix the five bloods was number three in their top 10 in terms of things people are watching that's amazing yeah you know usually that stuff is reserved for one of their crappy tiger king shows or something like that but the the fact that he's able to reach this massive audience just through a streaming service is really impressive yeah i am still a little upset at netflix for canceling she's gotta have it because as i said i watched the entire thing and it's very good it's but he did say show. he was sh- yeah yeah yeah. it was he he did say that he was shopping it around to other networks and hopefully it gets picked up because it was canceled a year ago um this this june uh pop but tv he where directed, you at <laughs> he directed every single episode of that series so you know wow. uh, do i want to see him get stuck doing a tv show no not necessarily but uh you know i do i do like that i feel like he is he is using these streaming services i think in in the way that they are meant to be used i would love to see him really collaborate in the theater space um i you know he has had musical chirac is a a good example there are big musical moments and numbers i would love to see what it would look like for him to really collaborate with other theater makers and um you know choreographers and 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 writers uh you know for a musical and see what that would a full musical would look like under or maybe not under but like with the spike lee touch and flair um because i i just love that there is no genre that is untouched by him um yeah and and uh yeah i, I don't know i i love I, I i truly just feel very grateful that we you know we have all his early work and he's still putting out um important and 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 it very similar to what you said about angela bassett in the last episode i think the other great legacy of spike lee is all the people that will come after him because of all the doors that he has kicked down all the the stuff that he has done and and you're starting to see it it's still not quite enough i mean the the diversity is still not quite there but but people like Ava DuVernay and Barry Jenkins and Ryan Coogler, yeah. um, John Singleton owes a lot to Spike Lee, Jordan Peele, uh, Cassie Lemons. These these filmmakers, um, Boots Riley even said that uh, even though they've had some beef with each other, mm-hmm. Boots Riley said that he saw his films and it made him want to make movies. So I I think when you talk about spike lee you can't help but also think about the legacy that he will leave behind as well as the path that he has trod for the people that come after him yeah and it's just up to us to keep you know uh watching his movies spreading the word and uh you know watching the movies of more and more black filmmakers um, and making them part of our vernacular. Like it's embarrassing that I had not watched something of his until black Klansman. Like that's just a fucking fact. And you know, I mean, I agree. <laughs> oh, is that a read? <laughs> Gavin. Uh, <laughs> this episode's fucking over. I swear to God. <laughs> uh, but, 
but, but yeah. no, I, I I agree. He's he's important. He's important to the history of film, and he's now important to the history of this country. Yeah, and if you know, if your kids and we're only seeing fucking like Steven Spielberg, you know, like his movies and his name should be discussed on the same level. And um, yeah, so take the time. Uh, listeners to uh, you know find some of his stuff a lot of his stuff is on uh, Netflix the Criterion Collection it's easy 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 to find and easy to watch Um, there is no excuse well I think that wraps up Spike Lee and another great episode and and hopefully we have broadened your horizons and you can go out there and check out some of his films Uh, he has a vast canon yes yes please But until our next episode, you can always find us if you want to contact us online on Twitter at at the mixed reviews. We're also on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews on Instagram. And if you want to continue listening to us, if you have only selected this episode for some reason and you haven't subscribed to us, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Google Play Music, Chartable. We're on everything. We're just wow. a bit here, a bit there. Uh, but if you could do me a huge favor, and if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and write us a nice review. It helps other people find us, and we love hearing from you, and we'll read it on the show. Yeah, smash that like button, uh, retweet, reblog, all those things. Um, also, we wanted to say if you or someone you know is a black film critic aficionado lover of movies we'd love to have you on the show um to give you guys a platform to chat with us about uh, some movies uh get your voice out there so uh we'd love to hear from you just shoot us an email or slide into our dms whatever your preferred method of uh communication is uh, until next time we'll see you guys on the internet uh, we might have a watch party coming soon and um, our poll will be coming soon. So thank you guys. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Have a great week. Fight the power. 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 We got to fight the power that beats. the rhythm designed to bounce with tail successful. Designed to fill your mind now that you realize the prize arrives. We got the